Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, I'd love for you to take it and turn to the book of Mark. Chapter 10. Book of Mark, chapter 10. This morning we're going to talk about a topic that's sometimes difficult to talk about in our society. Marriage, that's an easy topic. I can talk about that all day. But when divorce gets mixed into that, it becomes a long process. But um, I don't mind talking about it. Um, I taught the uh, parallel passage in a Sunday school class about 15 years ago. And uh, it was Matthew 19. And uh, it was a good class. It was a good discussion. This morning we're going to talk about it because Jesus is teaching a crowd again. And he's doing this on the heels of what he's just said about the radical things we have to do to be a disciple. He's, he's taught discipleship is a radical change in your life. And now these Pharisees are going to show up, which they typically do, and spoil all of Jesus' teachings. And they're going to try to trap Jesus. And they're actually trying to trap Jesus with the same issue that John the Baptist got trapped with, with Herod and Herodias and their illicit marriage. So they're going to try this again. It worked once. It might work again. The problem grew from a, a Jewish scholar named Hillel. He created a school that taught that divorce was easy, that divorce could happen for any reason. And he basically created this following that thought divorce was permissible no matter what your problem was. And this is, again, divorce for men, not women, which we'll talk about that too. But they wanted to talk about divorce, <laughs> but Jesus, he taught marriage. Follow along as I read this passage, chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. He set out from there and went to the region of Judea across the Jordan. Then crowds converged on him. And as was his custom, he taught them again. Some Pharisees came to test him, asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He replied to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. But Jesus told them, He wrote this command for you because of the hardness of of your hearts. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples questioned him about this matter. He said to them, Whoever divorces his wife, and marries another, commits adultery against her. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for the gift of marriage. That beautiful creation that you had in mind in the Garden of Eden. We thank you for that. We thank you now that we can learn from Jesus' teaching what your true intentions were, how our sin can mess it up, and how we can get back to it in the right frame of mind. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> all of us are impacted, have been impacted by divorce probably. It's touched all of our lives in some way, shape, or form. And in most cases, the hurt was probably more than trying to keep the marriage together in some conditions. But we need to remember that God made marriage forever. Okay? Yet in His grace, He permitted divorce with some conditions. 
So regardless of where you're at on this, and I'm going to encourage you this morning to try and put out all the situations that you may be going through in your head when we start mentioning marriage and divorce, and just listen to what Jesus tells us this morning in his word. But we need to remember that God made marriage forever, yet in his grace he permitted this situation we call divorce. And so regardless of where you're at on this issue, regardless of where you're at, Jesus can forgive and redeem this. It's not the unpardonable sin. So we accept God's position on marriage, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. See, Jesus is going to diffuse the Pharisees' trap with teachings on marriage. They have a trap set using divorce as the bait. He's going to trip the trap with marriage in this situation. Jesus reveals the solution for the sin of divorce. For the sin of divorce is, is God's creation, the the. the, the the solution, <laughs> the solution is the creation of the covenant of marriage by God. That's the solution. So what does Jesus reveal about marriage here that contradicts divorce? Well, Jesus defeats the trap with three truths. Three truths about God's marriage design. First, he reveals that sin has messed up marriage. Let me read verses 1 through 5 again. Marriage fails when hearts are hardened. Verses 1 through 5 again. He set out from there and went to the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Then crowds converged on him again, and as was his custom, he taught them again. Some Pharisees came to test him, asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He replied to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. But Jesus told them, He wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. He wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. So, Jesus reemerges into the public realm, okay? He's in Capernaum or up in Galilee somewhere, teaching his disciples privately, and now he travels down either on the east or the west side of the Jordan River, but then he crosses over at Jericho to the east side, and so he's in the region of what's called Perea, which is ruled by Herod. It's just ruled by Herod, and Herod, Herod's issue with divorce and all is what why the pharisees show up he begins teaching the people but the pharisees kind of come with this heretical trap a trap because this is what john the baptizer was caught with you remember john he was condemning their marriage and herod arrested him and in that same region is the city where john the baptizer was beheaded for his op opposition to their marriage so Jesus is now teaching there, and the Pharisees are hoping they can get him to take the bait to the same trap. And they want to get Herod to kill Jesus. That's what they're trying for. So that's kind of the background context of this. That's why they show up. But the, the question they're asking is covered by the law of Moses. Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4 covers this. Yes, you can write a divorce paper on certain conditions. The problem was is that these two rabbis Hillel, I mentioned earlier, and Shammai came up with almost diametrically opposed viewpoints. Shammai was very conservative. He was saying the only reason you could ever divorce your wife is if she did something sexually immoral or she did so you found out something about her that was disgraceful, that you were told something different, they lied about it, her father and family lied about it, and it's, it's too hard to bear the burden of that. That's what he taught. It was very conservative. Obviously, Adultery in Moses' laws required death. 
So we're not always talking about adultery, two married people getting together or a married person committing sex outside of marriage with another person. But it could be fornication. So Shammai taught a very conservative view. Hillel, on the other hand, taught a very liberal view. Any reason whatsoever that you don't like your wife, you can divorce her. And I, and I wish I could say this is a, a guess, but this is not a guess. He wrote that down. He wrote that down. He even wrote down examples like burning dinner, getting too fat, not looking good, or even if he just didn't like her anymore. Now, there's many times I'm not sure I like my wife, but I love her to death. But sometimes liking is a little too flaky there. Yes, she's in the nursery, and yes, she can hear me, okay? So don't worry about it. She's got the speaker on back there. Pharisees of the day and most Jews of that day in Jesus' time followed Hillel's view. Divorce her just like that. Give her a piece of paper written on, written on a, something that lasts, written with an indelible marker, won't ever go away. Send her off. Divorce was a tragic and rampant problem in the day. It was a tragic and rampant problem for women in that day. And that's why Moses created, by God's di- direction, a writ of divorce, basically a piece of paper that protected the woman. That's the reason God created it and the reason Moses wrote it down. But in Jesus' day, divorce was rampant. It was terrible, silly stuff, ridiculous stuff. And so Jesus gives them the first truth I'm mentioning here. The first truth is that you don't understand the limits God's put on divorce because of your hard hearts. You haven't understood that God's giving you permission to divorce in certain cases, but it's not the ones you're using. There's no reason for that. He takes them back to God's word. That's the first thing he says. Well, what does Moses say? What does God's word say? So he does that. What did God command? Well, divorce was allowed, not commanded, allowed for severe reasons. Severe reasons. And like I mentioned earlier, most of the time it has something to do with sexual immorality. But the second thing Jesus did is he explains that God allowed Moses to write that for you because of your hard hearts. Your hard hearts. God knew that their hard hearts from Adam and Eve on would ruin marriage. Ruin it. Sinful hearts do ruin marriages. And so what, what God realizes is that at some point, a man and a woman would just come up with any reason whatsoever to divorce each other. And so it was going to happen. God knew, okay, after the Garden of Eden where, where marriage was perfect, and we'll get to that in a minute, he said, he said uh, okay, they're going to divorce. And they're going to come up with all kinds of silly reasons to do it because they're such stubborn, hard-hearted, selfish people. So he created this condition. He allows divorce between a husband and woman when they break the vows of marriage severely, where it's almost unbearable to stay marriage. He added this to allow order and guidance to life. He wanted to limit, as best he could, the chaos of sin in people's lives. So he created this. It's not because God changed his mind about marriage, and Jesus is going to make that very clear in a minute. It's not because God changed his mind about marriage He just gave them a little bit of grace there. But unfortunately, we humans, man, you give us an inch, we take a mile plus. We're always expanding what we think. So the Jews took the freedom too far. 
And humans will do that. They will always go beyond the boundaries. They will always push against the boundaries to try to get more and more freedoms that they want instead of looking to what they actually have. Their hearts become hard. But God's one flesh design for marriage will fail anytime hearts become hard. Anytime we get hard toward God's word, toward God's design for things, marriage will fail. Other things will fail too. It's a given. It's a fact. And so Jesus tells them the first truth is your hearts were too hard. That's why divorce was permitted. I had an uncle. He passed away this past uh, September. He was married and divorced 10 times. Yeah. You'd think he would have learned, but anyway. The thing is, is that he was married and divorced 10 times because he was an alcoholic. He was also abusive. He was misogynistic. He was very selfish. He was very unrestrained in his lust of women. And most of the time he would get abusive about it sometimes. Not physically, but angrily. But he wound up getting so many DUIs, he wound up living with my grandparents for a long time. A long time. And then in 2001, he remarried his first wife because she came to my grandmother's funeral. And God redeemed that relationship, and they spent 15 years together before she passed away because he had learned to love God's way. He became a Christian, started going to church regularly with her. It was a beautiful thing. But his heart was hard initially, so 10 times was a lie, but it's because of a hard heart. See, rebellion and resistance to God's truth has always been the undoing of our souls, of any soul. And, and, and God gives them this word in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. He gives them this word that Jesus is now talking to them about 400 years before it happened. Malachi writes, For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts, so guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. See, it takes faith to work through a marriage. It takes faith to push on through the difficulties and not let the hardness of our hearts keep dragging us away to something else. And that's what Jesus is telling them. Many, many of you right now probably are thinking about a divorce that, that has impacted your life in some way. Maybe you were in it. Maybe you uh, had a friend in it. And maybe you're trying to, like I will try to do, rationalize well, but that one was this, and this, this was what was going on. And, and there's a lot, and I, we're going to get to that in a little bit later. But, but it may have been a bad situation, and I'll give you that. But it most likely isn't. Most divorces are just irreconcilable differences. That's the number one legal reason put on divorce papers. Irreconcilable differences. Now let me define that as the legal the community defines it. These differences cause the irretrievable breakdown of the marriage with no hope for reconciliation. Most states that have no-fault divorce, this is what's listed because they can't list anything else. And so sometimes it masks things that actually happen. But, but the fact of the matter is, is that hard hearts, self-focused pursuits, resistance to self-denial, which Jesus has been teaching his disciples about, all that will cause marriages to fail. The pursuit of our own selfish desires, our own selfish ambitions, causes marriages to fail. Selfishness drags away any heart that's committed to trying to stay married. 
Because that's where our sin usually happens anywhere, our own evil desires. Society chooses divorce over loving a spouse through these times. In other words, it's like, ah, we'll just give up. Out comes the D word, and they get, they just, they, it's easier. Oh, it's just so much easier. And their emotions get involved, and there's a lot of pain and agony. She said, he said some things that they're not should have said, and it just gets ugly. And then callousness, callousness develops between the two of them. They don't, they don't want to give in because they think that's going to give them an edge. They're competing. They're bumping heads, and they're not going to. It's just, it's, in, it's, it's sad. And then it's hard to reconcile because your pride now gets in the way. Oh, I'm not going to let them win. I'm not letting them win. Pride holds us hostage. Do you know that? Pride always will hold you hostage with sin. Marriage comes with hope, believe it or not, and forgiveness. I've never, I've never seen a bride and groom on a stage getting married and saying their vows to each other, and they go, well, it's just pretty hopeless, but we're going to do it anyway. Most of the time, they got hope in them. They got all kinds of hope in them. And at first, they're real forgiving. And, and oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't know that bothered you. And da 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 da. And then it just gets over time. It just kind of fizzles out. But I want you to remember something this morning. Marriage is two sinners joining their lives together. Not two saints, not two perfect people, not two angels, two sinners. And God designed marriage to be a place where. Love, forgiveness, and hope always win. That's the testimony of our life should be as a married couple, is that love, forgiveness, and hope are always winning the battle. Now, it's hard because it's the right thing to do. And I'm going to tell you something. Anything that's right in God's eyes is going to be hard to do. Married couple can be, I mean, engaged couple can be having the time of their life to think, wow, this is going to be easy. And the minute they say, I do up here, it gets hard. I mean, day one. You know why? Satan doesn't like it. Because God instituted marriage in the Garden of Eden before he made man fall, and he thinks it's still, and it is, still an institution God preserves. It's going to be, it's going to be hard. It's not automatic. So we need to let go of our hard spots, our hardened hearts, our calloused areas. We need to soften them up. Swallow your pride. Apologize. And see your marriage thrive forever, because it can. So Jesus has countered first their trap with their own sinfulness, their own sin-laced excuses for trivial divorce, I call it. But now he's going to turn back even further to the original plan. Marriage thrives by God's design. Look at verses 6 through 9. When I find it. But from the beginning of creation, this is Jesus still talking, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So for the second truth that Jesus is giving them and us, Jesus now takes them way back in the Word of God to the very beginning. Chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis, the very beginning. God installed marriage in the sinless environment of the Garden of Eden. There wasn't any sin there. It would have been nice, wouldn't it? It would have been nice, but Adam and Eve blew it. 
He made them for this union. He made male and female. He created them with that intention. It wasn't like, oh, look, I got two puzzle pieces here. They fit together. No, he intended for that to happen. He intended for that to happen from the very beginning. God instituted a marriage as the union of two human beings into one human unit. Now, this is not losing your personality and all those kind of things people try to stretch, but you become one. You don't, you don't operate without each other in mind. And that can, that's a whole other marriage seminar to get through that. But you separate from your parents and you join to one another and you become one human unit, one person. The phrase in the Semitic Jewish teachings is actually means become, becoming one flesh. It, it means that literally becoming one person. Marriage should be with one person. That's what, that's what it's meant to say. We become one person, one unit focused on God's glory. Because God created it from the very beginning. So Jesus declares this unity. He even go, says it again. So the two will become one flesh. He says he's basically declaring right then that Jesus is declaring that even in a sinful world, even in a sinful world, it is not okay to divorce. It's not. It's not to be divided again. You become one, you stay one. He pronounces them one forever there. And God intended this unit to survive even sin's influence. He intended that. He's a wise God. He knew it probably wouldn't in all cases, but he intended that. But just like in the radical sin avoidance we talked about in verses 42 through 48 of, of chapter 9, God wants all our effort on keeping our marriages together. And both of us competing for that. And God says that when we divorce, we are dividing a single person back into two, and violating his purposes. I mean, I, I can't make it any more clearer than that. It's, it's, a, it's a rending. It's a rip. And the people I've met that's gone through it, unless it was an unsafe situation, it does tear and hurt. It's painful. And Jesus is steering the Pharisees back to God. He's steering them back to God and away from their trivial ideas of burnt meals and unfavorable things that your wife did and the wrong ideas they have about marriage. He's steering them back to what God intended from the very beginning. And he reminds them that God intended marriage to blossom by his original design. And I know you're sitting there thinking, well, it would have been easy in the Garden of Eden. We wouldn't have had any problems. You're right. It would have been, but we don't have that luxury. In many ways, our misery or our problems in life, they result from our misuse or non-compliance with God's plan. And that's what Jesus is instructing the Pharisees right here. You failed to comply with God's permissions for divorce. And what Jesus is pointing to, again, is relayed to them 400 years earlier in Malachi chapter 2. Because here's a couple of verses ahead of that one I read a while ago. But you say, why does he not bless us? And the answer, because the Lord is, was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the sp Spirit in their union? And what was, the one God's, what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. God hates divorce. And we know why. We go back to the beginning. He never in intended for this. So if divorce has touched your life, 
And I'm pretty sure everybody in here has some experience with it in some form or fashion. Think about how that marriage might have been if they'd have stayed together and worked it out through God's grace. I mean, just think. It might have, could have been different. Jesus is right here drawing us back to the real reason for marriage and that there is a real reason. God's glory revealed in his creation. That's what he's trying to do. That's what marriage is designed to do. And I've seen marriages heal and flourish and prosper under that attitude that Jesus tells them right there, let no one separate. I mean, there are times you feel like there's no way we're going to keep from separating. If you never get in the habit of using the D word, it's really hard. That's not an option, as, as they say. Don't let it ever become an option. Let no one separate the two. Now, God's not naive and neither am I. Becoming one person requires effort. It does. It requires effort. It doesn't happen automatically. It requires effort. It requires knowledge. God's word will be glad to give you some of that. And it requires patience, which we all could use a little bit more of that, I'm sure. Anything worth something is worth working for. It requires this work. Like I said, it's not automatic. So your marriage is worth more than you know if you're married. It's worth more than you know. If you're thinking about getting married, it's worth more than you know when you do. Your marriage is worth more than you know. God wants all marriages to succeed and prosper. He wants them all to do that. It's really hard for two people to prosper when they're pointing at each other, blaming each other. He wants, both, he wants all marriages. And when couples join... In holy matrimony, we use that term in wedding ceremonies and stuff, and we think, oh, how sweet. But that is a serious connection that God's putting there. Holy, which means set apart, sanctified by God, matrimony, marriage. Holy matrimony, before God, they are making a covenant. Now, let's talk about covenants. Covenants are different than anything else you're thinking of. They're making a covenant to each other and to God. Both of them are in a marriage ceremony when it's conducted the correct way. Even unbelievers make this covenant. They may not even believe in God, but it's before God. When they want to be joined in a church building, which is not really a big deal, but in a church by a pastor, they are making a covenant in holy matrimony before God. And God expects them to honor it for all of life. He doesn't, he doesn't compromise on his expectations. So what is a covenant? It is not a contract. Okay, it's not a contract. Contracts have conditions and clauses and 50-50 idea and they got some sort of split there that's, that's built in. A covenant is a promise. An unconditional promise. And in marriage, it's 100% and 100%. Each given to the other as much as you can. In love and, and patience, it's a promise to do that. It has no escape clause. It has no fine print. It has no exclusions when it's made before God. It is unconditional. And this covenant is validated by promises, by vows that you exchange. Each makes to each other. God intends for you to keep those vows. So don't get up here and say it and then just kind of, well, you know, we said it. But I mean, I just wish people would remember they made a promise, a very serious promise. And then this covenant is sealed by one of the most beautiful things in the world, the intimacy of sex. 
That is the whole reason God created it, is to seal the marriage covenant. It's not something we do for pleasure on the side. It can't be discarded as something else. God ordains sex just for the marriage covenant. That's the only reason he created it. The only reason he put it in us was for the marriage covenant. Inside the boundaries of marriage is where sex is always supposed to be. There is no excuse for that at all. Now, our formalities, our clothing, our, our guest list for a wedding, they're all nice, but they're not the point of the wedding. The point of the wedding is that words will be exchanged from a biblical directive with pledges to each other and vows. That's what the wedding ceremony is for. That's the point. God intends for couples to find a way to unite in holy matrimony. Regardless of their place, regardless of their expense, regardless of the audience, he wants them to make those promises before him in some way, shape, or form. He puts his spirit. He just said that in Malachi. I put my spirit on all marriages. That doesn't instantly make someone married a Christian. But he puts his spirit involved in it. It's why it's so hard. It's why it's so painful. It is something God still promotes and Satan wants to tear down. All marriages thrive when we follow God's principles for them. Two, becoming one. Uniting to become one person. And that's why Jesus took them back to the original design. And then he takes his teaching a little bit further with his disciples. Because what he's going to tell them in verses 10 through 12 is kind of radical for the time even. But not radical for God's word. Marriage counters trivial divorce. Listen to verses 10 through 12. When they were in the house again, the disciples questioned him about this matter. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now Jesus is giving his disciples the third truth we were going to talk about this morning. That, that counters the very heretical, very poor teaching of the Jewish leaders about divorce. If a man divorces his wife for trivial matters, it doesn't say that specifically, but that's got to be what Jesus is talking about because adultery requires stoning if someone commits adultery. And if, if someone does something immoral, there's guidance in Moses' law. If a man divorces his wife for trivial matters and remarries, he commits adultery against his first wife. If a woman divorces her husband over trivial matters and remarries, she commits adultery against her first husband. Now let me break this down a little bit because I know sometimes this is, hard. this is one of the sticking points for people. See, divorce for trivial matters, like I mentioned before, burnt meals, gaining weight, not, just, not looking your best, not keeping the house clean, just genuine dis general displeasure. A husband could divorce his wife over those things. And that's not God's design. Divorce over trivial matters is not the way God would have this work. Marrying another person after, after you decide to divorce this person, you wrote her a, a, a divorce certificate and you decide to leave her and marry someone else and you consummate that marriage with, or the remarriage, with sex, it's adultery. Right there. Boom. It's adultery. Why? Because the first marriage isn't properly ended. It hasn't got a, a solid biblical reason for divorce. So, they're committing adultery in their relationship. This is by God's standards. This isn't Bill Weaver's standards. This is what God's telling us. The first marriage, not properly divorced, 
results in adultery if you remarry and consummate the marriage with sex. So once the marriage vows are broken by adultery, the first marriage can be divorced. It's almost like you, you got it out of order. You had the sex and then you had, I mean, you had the divorce and then you had sex, and that's the wrong way. This is still not God's way. But also in this instance, Jesus is raising the status of women. Because here's what happened in Jewish teachings. Women could not divorce a husband for anything. Nothing. Now, Roman law allowed it in certain cases, but Jewish law would not permit it. And so women could not divorce their husband. See, adultery in Judaism in the day, we, we, we read the, the seventh commandment and we go, we know what that means. Married people sleeping with someone else besides their spouse. We got that covered, either one. But in Judaism of the day, only a wife could commit adultery. If the husband slept with an unwed woman, it wasn't adultery. Now, if the husband slept with a married woman, he was committing adultery with her, and she would be guilty of adultery. So it was really, it was really backwards. It was really crazy. And Jesus is raising the status of women here because he's saying you can divorce your, your husband, and he can commit adultery against you. See, they didn't even see it that way before. When we return to God's plan for marriage, a lot of these questions are answered. And if we stay focused on God's plan for marriage, divorce kind of fizzles away. But God's plan for marriage and his, his, and his divorce permissions required a lot more justifications than what they're using. Marriages should never be sacrificed to incidental and trivial issues. We should work them out together. And Jesus, his teaching right here, so I'm going to finish up here, right? But Jesus' teaching right here, it opposed Herod. It opposed Herod and Herodias' marriage completely, just like John the Baptist did. Jesus is teaching that they're wrong. Their marriage is wrong. He's opposing the Pharisees' idea of marriage and divorce. He's opposing all Jews' idea of marriage and divorce, including his disciples, which is why they were asking him questions. And in Matthew 19, the disciples' minds are blown. They say, how can, how can anybody get married? It's better not to be married than to have to live with someone you don't want to live with. So Jesus opposed all of them. And he says in Luke, he says, blessed is he who does not take offense at me. See, Jesus says a lot of offensive things to people's traditions and people's ideas. But he says, blessed is the one who doesn't take offense at me. So when Jesus speaks truth, when Jesus tells us how marriage should be and what's allowable for divorce, and you feel threatened or even offended by it, that's the Holy Spirit working on you, not me. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you. When we, when we get offended at Jesus, it's, it's because the Holy Spirit is trying to communicate to us. But our society, unfortunately, has rationalized so many sinful behaviors. And you know what they are, and you know, and you've seen them. But Jesus came to turn all of these rationalizations that society hangs on to on their head. He came to turn them upside down, point everybody back to God, and he came to point everybody back to God's plan. Divorce is wrong when not according to God's gracious exemptions, which persistently violate the covenants that the person made. So, 
God excuses divorce, and I'm going to give these to you. You might want to write them down if you've got some questions. These are, these are a little bit broad. Sexual immorality, abuse, neglect, and desertion. And I think those are covered well by Scripture. The problem with us sometimes is we rationalize and broaden them too big. Keep them narrow. Because we can let them, we can, just like the Jews, we can let them get out of hand. And, do, and, and, and rationalize one of these, oh, but they did this. You know, and like I said before, it's a persistent violation of the covenant. It's not one where you're just one time. I mean, everybody deserves a second chance, right? So, divorce can be forgiven. You know, because God loves, here's what God loves. God loves confession. He loves repentance. He loves reconciliation. All of those things redeem a marriage. God loves that. He gave some exceptions for divorce, but he loves those things. And, and, and divorce can be forgiven. Grace offers us redemption for that sin. The gospel covers it completely. It's not a special sin. It's not above and beyond anything else. It can affect you in, in a negative way for a long time. And I know that it has some people. But it's not the unpardonable sin. But you know what? God will fix a marriage. He will fix a marriage. No matter what happened, he will fix a marriage. But <laughs> it will be work. It will require work. It's not automatic. There's no recipe for it. So let's let God's design of marriage heal trivial divorces and strained marriages. That's what Jesus is trying to get across to the Pharisees and the disciples. Jesus diffused their divorce argument and their divorce trap and their divorce debate they were trying to get with Jesus with God's original design for marriage and the exhortation to pursue that original design. So let me give you some final thoughts. As a, as a, this, this could have turned into a week-long marriage seminar. There's so many things I'm not telling you that I'd love to have had time to tell you, but we, we approach marriage sometimes today too carelessly. People are too quick to pull the trigger on marriage. Now, some aren't quick enough. You know, some people have been living together, and, now, and then they later decide. They're, they're, they're kind of like trying to test drive. But I even tell those couples, you may, be working to, you may have lived together for a long time, and it'd be all worked out. But the minute you say, I do, before God Almighty, it will get harder. And it will. Satan will come after you. So marriage has just been done too carelessly, though. I, and and, and it, when it goes well, it brings lots of joy. But when it does not, it's miserable. So here's three pieces of scriptural advice I'm going to give you. I want you to write these down that will help two people stay as one. First of all, always marry a true believer in Jesus Christ. Make sure both of you are committed Christians following the Lord Jesus Christ and pray for God's approval of that union. That's one. The second one, remember marriage is two sinners, not two angels. Okay? Keep the expectations at the right level. All right? It's two sinners, not two angels. Watch your expectations and have honest conversations about your expectations. Honest, patient conversations. And third, encourage your spouse's spiritual growth. Don't nag them. That's not what I'm saying. Encourage it. Push them to be more holy. Because you know what? The closer you grow to God, the closer you grow together. The closer you grow to God, the closer you grow together. 
that was shown, me and Angie got that shown to us before we were even married, of the triangle of we're here, and if we go this way, we leave God out. But as we get closer to God, we get closer to each other. And so you can start that before you're married, and you can continue that, and must continue that after the wedding ceremony. And then the last thing I want to tell you, that's the three things, a piece of advice, but the last thing I just want you to realize that our Lord and his presence are working on our marriages. Even when we don't care to work on our marriage, God's always working on it, and that's a beautiful thing. So we need to lift up the theology of marriage. We need to lift up the theology of God's presence with his people as being the central hope in our marriages. That hope will never be found in myself. It'll never be found in my spouse because we always will fail one another when we try to hope in each other. But Jesus, Jesus will never fail in our marriages. So let's pray now for Jesus to be Lord of our marriages and to strengthen our marriages. Let's have a time of pastoral prayer where you just pray silently and take some of these things. Pray for marriages, unions, past, present, and future. Let's do that right now.